Hi there. Welcome to Mushroom Hour. Today on Mushroom Hour, we have the honor of interviewing Mr. James McConkey, the proprietor of San Francisco's Hate Street Shroom Shop. He is a self-taught mycology lover and forager who was first inspired to explore the world of mushrooms in the aftermath of a traumatic cancer diagnosis in his family. Inspired by the transformative experiences he had with mushrooms, James founded the Hate Street Shroom Shop to educate others about the power of mushrooms, how they grow, their healing properties, and their history and future. James, great to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Darren. I really appreciate it. And I just want to say how much I love the Mushroom Hour. I've been a follower for over a year now, and uh, you guys are doing great things. Right on. Well, that's kind of how we met was through Instagram. That's always great when uh, Instagram connections become real-life connections, especially with people who are right in my neck of the woods in the Bay Area doing cool things. And I guess where I want to start, because there's a lot to talk about, you have the Hate Street Shroom Shop, your own voyages into DIY mycology, your own experiences with mushrooms. But where I like to start with most people is an origin story, kind of how you came to mushrooms, if it was something developed in your childhood. In your case, after reading some of your about me on your website, I see there was an experience uh, with your partner who had cancer that kind of brought you into it. So yeah, talk a little bit about how you got into mushrooms. Sure. Um, it, it was exactly that situation. I mean, um, my experience as a younger person with mushrooms is the same as um, I think a lot of other people's out there is that we're kind of told to stay away from mushrooms, in particular out in the wild. Yep. Uh, just, uh, oh, don't they could kill you. That's that's generally what we're we're taught as younger people, because um, the level of knowledge that is um, required to most people seems over the top like you'd have to really learn this crazy science level stuff to be able to go out and identify mushrooms so that that was kind of my my youth experience and then you know i had um some fun um you know psychedelic experiences in my in my 20 in, you know my teens and my 20s and then as i uh, kind of progressed in life and moved out to the bay area um you know mushrooms just became a gourmet thing for me and uh, it wasn't until um, my wife was diagnosed with stage two breast cancer that um, mushrooms came into my life in a more prominent way. And uh, uh, it was mainly from um, a friend that had turned me on to uh, Paul Stamets' uh, TED talk that he did. I think it was um, all the way back in like 2005 is when he initially did that. The infamous early 2000s yeah. Paul Stamets TED talk that influenced a lot of people, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a um, a really great talk. I do highly recommend it. Uh, he talks about how um, mushrooms, in many of their different forms, can help save the world, and and then the powerful impact in the end is uh, he brings his mother out on stage, who um, was uh, diagnosed with stage four breast cancer, which is pretty much um, you know a terminal diagnosis, and she was able to uh, completely. Uh, put her cancer into remission through the use of uh, the turkey tail mushroom. Uh, so after hearing the story and reading the story, learning more about my wife's diagnosis, and surprisingly enough, her diagnosis was the exact same diagnosis as what Paul Stamets' mom wow. had, and the exact same therapy because it wasn't just turkey tails mushrooms. Like we have to be really clear with that. Um, there were some other um, Western drugs that, and chemotherapy and radiation therapy, in addition to the turkey tail mushrooms and the supplements and having a good diet and uh, making sure that there was some sort of physical activity in the regular in order for her to actually get through the treatment in a positive light. And the positive light is that she went through almost completely um, uh, symptom-free and came out the other side of the treatment relatively um, unscathed from the negative side effects that occur from these drugs, neuropathy, um, vision, uh, sight, vision, blurred vision, things like that. Uh, and then, you know, within a year, um, we found out she was in full remission. And so whether it's said to be the mushrooms or not the mushrooms, I can tell you from my own experience supplementing mushrooms for the past few years since I started this journey, that they do have a really positive effect on your overall health. And I think there's a very um, high likelihood in the next few years, uh, fungi in general are going to be a much more prominent thing in everybody's lives. And it sounds like it's about integrating them in to otherwise well-understood kind of healthy regimens. Like mushrooms aren't the panacea. If you have certain symptoms, it's not take this mushroom, it'll cure it. It's like integrate this mushroom with all these other good habits you should be building, all these other good things you should be doing. 
and it'll be kind of a booster to, to make all those efforts really, really uh, see positive effects. Because I, I know there are a lot of people who say, you know, take lion's mane, it'll regrow your brain, or take turkey tail to cure cancer. It sounds like it's a little more, um, it's not as cut and dry as that. Yeah, I would agree with that um, that statement 100%. And, and when, I, when I talk on this in my class, um, in my workshops, I try to I try to simplify things because you know I get an opportunity to talk about mushrooms and talk about health for about two hours with people, and and to and to make it as simple as possible, I kind of break it into these three different areas of um, the mind, the body, and the spirit, and 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 how we keep those three different areas balanced in our lives is um, it's 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 an individual recipe and and that's that's the hard part is is finding out that individual recipe because right. we are all individuals and if we if we all prescribe to the fact that if you do one thing it's going to cause this this end result or it's very that's not very realistic because of that individuality to think that if we all take this one mushroom we're all going to get better the same way so building that recipe of all these different things, you know, and through my, my wife's experience and my own personal experience, um, healing myself from my accident that happened last July, I can truly say that, um, you know, building that recipe and being mindful is, is really the, the key to all of this, all of this holistic health that we're all kind of, we're all turning around towards. Yeah. So your entry then into mushrooms is kind of through that that experiential study of holistic health using it both in your wife's case and it sounds like in your case as well to get positive health outcomes so then how did your experience with those potent medicinal aspects of mushrooms that supplementation of your diet and your wellness regimen how did that move into a love of diy mycology because i know at the hate street shroom shop you're teaching people how to grow mushrooms how to culture mushrooms so when did that transition happen? Was that existing before you got into medicinal mushrooms? How did that come about? Uh, you know, I've always loved to kind of put my hands in dirt. Um, I'm, I'm originally from the East Coast. I grew up in New Hampshire. Um, not in the woods, so to say, but we played a lot in the woods. And, and being out there and going and hunting for spearmint and going and hunting for you know, little edible roots and stuff like that. Oh, was, so you did some foraging yeah, when in I was your a, youth. Yeah, definitely when I was a kid. Um, nice. There's a lot of fun things that when you when you go to science class out in the East Coast, you can you can learn as a kid. I didn't know anything about mushrooms at the time, but for, for me, the transition was, uh, surprisingly enough, um, was, was paying, you know, about 40-something dollars and doubling that, so about $80 for a supplementation bottle of turkey tail mushrooms every couple of weeks for my wife. Right, right. Um, and then when I realized I could walk like three blocks from where I live into Golden Gate Park and literally pick these mushrooms, I kind of started thinking in my mind, well, wait a minute, if these just naturally grow right where I am and I'm willing, I'm, you know, from a medicinal standpoint, of course, I was willing to pay whatever was required to, to help my wife in her treatment. But sure. after the fact, we, I kind of looking at everything and as I, I said, well, maybe we can just grow these. And so I, and that's how I kind of started diving into getting just, you know, home grow kits and, and starting there and being patient using those and then digging even further um, to figure out different um, methods for, um, for home growing. And then I started learning about all the different types of um, substrates and all the different types of methods. And I, I got kind of geeked out and I just ended up buying my first pressure cooker and Anybody that does home mycology knows that once you get the pressure cooker, you're pretty much ready to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's on. I mean, it sounds like you got inoculated. That happens with people. I see a lot of people start growing mushrooms, start doing their own DIY mycology work, and you just dive in. I mean, either you treat it as kind of a side hobby and then kind of veer away from it, or you dive all the way in. Like there's no in between. And definitely once you have the pressure cooker, you are on the path to full scale. DIY mycology, That's right. um, because then you can start inoculating your own substrates. Um, I guess, did you start out with a flow hood or did you mostly buy existing cultures on Petrie elsewhere? Or? Well, so um, uh, the first, I think the first, like, um, the first inoculant that I got was a spore syringe from somebody that convinced me that I could do it. 
And that was, that was the turning point for me. And then I started looking up basic home mycology techniques. And uh, when we have a moment, I'll, I'll pull it out. But I, um, I started with a still air box uh, that I made out of cardboard box. Wow, out of and, cardboard. Yep. And I, um, I lined it with tin foil. And then I went to this uh, really awesome uh, recycled place here in San Francisco called Scrap. And I bought um, a small piece of plexiglass. And I, um, I put that on top and I made myself a small still air box and I, uh, show it every single workshop because, um, I want people to know that, uh, when you go on, when you go online and you see how people make all these mono tubs and, and they make all these different things, um, that they, uh, use to grow mushrooms or get these giant flushes and, and all these cool things that most of us that follow Instagram feeds, um, love to visually look at. The reality is, is uh, you need you don't need as much as you see or that what people visually show to right. get to that point where where I like to say where you go from um, pick to pan, you know, where you the very first time you ever pick like a lion's mane right off the block, chop it up right there and then throw it into your food. Uh, it'll be a, a life changing experience outside of just eating it in a pill or eating it in um you know, or, you know, even if you go find it outside in the wild, then, and I know, you know, this from, from your own experience, it's just like, it's so, it's so connecting and it's, it feels so good. That's the game changing moment when you really take it yourself, either something you've grown, something you found, you cook it, you prepare it, you somehow ingest it and feel the effects. That's where the light goes off and says, this is something I should invest my time in. This is something I should do more of. Now, for me, getting I, I had a history with DIY mycology. You know, I started seeing people on Instagram feeds, on YouTube, like you do. I see people making petri dishes with mushroom cultures on them. I see people inoculating, you know, rye grain jars. And for me, I actually didn't have, or, or I didn't create my own still air box. I kind of immediately sought out community and found people. I kind of had the more advanced setup to learn from. Now, did you kind of start from the ground level based on things you made yourself or did you find a group of people to connect with that, that taught you or how did that work? Yeah. You know, it, it was, it's really funny for me in my overall growing journey because I, you know, I had a, a whole different set of intentions and a different set of of reasons for why I was interested in, in mainly seeing if I could do it. Um, it was, it was, a it was a personal challenge to myself to kind of see if I could teach myself something new. And so initially I didn't, uh, I didn't seek out a lot of help other than online help. And, and that online help gave me enough guidance to feel confident to keep moving forward and then as I got that, like that first flush, that first time I grew some my own shiitakes, that first time I grew my own lion's mane, those, uh, the first time I grew my own pink oysters, which, and, and I highly recommend everybody grow pink oysters because the first time you see them, you'll be so happy because they're beautiful. You fall in love. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you fall in love. They, they are beautiful. <laughs> oysters in general, I think are a great yeah, one to start with. Agreed. agreed. They're, they're virulent. They're hardy. They're, they don't take much to grow. And uh, that's interesting. I think more and more with information becoming available on the internet, I think it is possible to tap into those online communities. You know, whether that community, like for me, was in person or whether it's on the internet, I think there are so many avenues now to tap into those communities, really get started with just the basics that you need. You know, in your case, it was a cardboard still air box that got you into DIY mycology, got you to the point where you are today. So it's something that's really more approachable than you might think at first. I agree a hundred percent. I mean, that's, that's why I'm here. I, I, my job and my shop and my space is dedicated to, to helping people see the simplicity of the opportunity that takes a very small amount of time and space. When, when we talk about the actual processes and stuff, yeah, it, it takes some energy and some effort and some attention to detail. But it's, it's no different than baking a cake. It's no different than, you know, changing oil on a car. I mean, everybody out there can do this. And the experience of growing your own food and growing your own medicine, more importantly, when you look at your food as medicine, 
your relationship changes drastically and and you can do it and when you're in my workshop that's what we talk about the fact that you can do it and i see part of my job as a as as an advocate for this um for this access is to make sure that you you don't stop going that you keep trying that you keep moving forward with it because every good mycologist knows that you're going to have some contamination you're going to have a failure and that's the beauty of the process because knowing that failure will occur and letting go of that failure allows you to really excel and and this is such a controllable thing that when you do excel it's it's such a magical feeling so it sounds like that's really part of your mission at at hate street shroom shop is to build that community and give people that access and that knowledge to grow their own medicine grow their own food i mean it sounds like there's a more altruistic motive there and a motive more toward the empowerment of people rather than just strict monetization um so i guess moving into hate street shroom shop is that the ethos behind it or what what was your goal in in creating this hub here in san francisco yeah, I think you you hit the nail on the head there, Darren. I'm this this space is um is here to kind of um be a um a beacon for people interested in mushrooms, uh in mycology and and even and even in psychedelics. Um this is a space where people can come and learn and share information. And I hope that um you know as as time progresses and and our um everybody that is in this new phase of learning about mushrooms and fungi and the potential, I hope that, you know, um, this can be a place where people can gather, uh, and, and learn and share as much as possible. And, and the, the sky's the limit with what I'm, what I'm trying to do. I mean, it's a lab space and a, and a workshop space and an event space and a gallery. And, um, so if you're a mushroom artist or you have an interest in, um, you know, being a, a higher level lab person, we're really uh, looking to try and collaborate with anybody out there, especially uh, local Bay Area people that want to, um, you know, advance themselves and advance the community uh, revolving around mycology. And dear listeners, you can't see the space, but we are in the Hate Street Shroom Shop and it is a beautiful space adorned with all the great fungi related art and everything that you'd imagine. There's even a giant light up mush love sign kind of my tagline. I am in love with that sign. And there's two levels to it. There's this downstairs workshop event area that we're in. And then the second floor is really a proper lab setup. No cardboard still airbox up there. You've got a proper flow hood and all the equipment people need to really dive into to advanced mycology. Yeah, that's right. Um, it is in transition still. We're, we're working on finishing out the laboratory upstairs, but that's exactly what it's going to be. Um, and and eventually it's going to be um, a place where um, I hope people want to do research, want to bring uh, projects and ideas. And then um, it'll be in a space where people can, you know, share their love for mycology, uh, both in an educational and a work format. And this gets to it. Actually, this gets to a key point. So right now I know you're hosting a lot of classes for the public. What is the turnout been like how has the community received this are people coming out in droves or how's that been with just doing because you just do weekend classes now correct yeah that's right i do um i do work a full-time job during the week which um uh, yeah boo it (laughs) is definitely how i feel about it and then in the evenings i come home and i do mycology work uh to prep for my weekend classes because um i am a one-man show right now and I hope to expand that. Um, and again, that opportunity is open uh, to Barry locals that are uh, more advanced mycologists that might be interested in uh, coming into the space and, and teaching workshops and things like that. But um, yeah, I, I teach um, one a, a week usually. I've been on a hiatus because of the holidays and um, some family stuff. But I'm about to start um, opening it up again. And then I hope that uh, you know, this call to arms will bring some interested folks to uh, to maybe come and say hello and, and um, find out uh, what opportunities are available here. Don't be strangers, guys. If you're in San Francisco, come out, come to a class. And I think that's really important what you said about, you know, if people are already knowledgeable, people are already experts to come into the space. Because for me, being part of groups, obviously this isn't a mycology club uh, 
officially, I guess that's kind of what it is. It's what it's becoming. But <laughs> I think it's important for people to know that there are, are going to be other people coming into the space and the learning can really happen between people attending. Not everyone necessarily has to see you as their mushroom guru. There's plenty of other people to connect with, which is really cool to have a space to kind of foster that connection and let people work, you know, outside of, outside of class as it were. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, I have a lot of community friends um, that are local through either um, the San Francisco Mycological Society or through um, the decriminalization efforts that are going over on in Oakland or the statewide effort down in L.A. And a lot of connections and friends and mycologists that um, are all in these groups. And, and right now, while there are some club spaces, um, you know, um, uh, what is it? Um, uh, mycelial mass is a wonderful opportunity for people to get into a community atmosphere. Um, to criminalize. Is that in, is that in counterculture labs in the yeah, East Bay? That's right. It's yeah. over, over in the East Bay. Um, and a lot of community members and people that are interested, um, can go and check that, that out. There's also the mycolo- uh, the mycological society here in San Francisco. There's also one in Berkeley. There's, there's one, there's one in Sonoma. There's one in Napa. They're all over the place in the Bay Area, and, and our se- our mushroom season is we're approaching the high point. But um, right. it, 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 we haven't had enough rain this year. That's my personal opinion. So I think we're going to get it's been a weird secondary. Season. Yeah, we're going to get a secondary push. So. I'm hoping. I'm hoping everything comes just a little bit later. That we're not skipping. Some people say we've skipped a little bit of mushroom season. I'm like, no, no, no. It's all going to come. Yeah, though the, the <laughs> oysters, the oysters were early. The armorias were early. Armorias were early. And your amanitas that you're finding are blowing me away, man. I, I won't lie. They uh, are um, some some magical caps, man. Those it's <laughs> it's hard not to stop every time we see an amanita in a bush or under a tree. I mean, I love edible mushrooms, but I almost get more excited for seeing those bright red amanita caps. And actually, this is something you do in your classes, right? You take people out right in Golden Gate Park. And that's, go foraging and show them like right here in the city. That's right. Mushrooms to find. That's right. So, and I, it's not even that far of a walk. It's about um, two blocks from the store is the entry to Golden Gate Park. And then we take a short walk in the close vicinity of um, the Conservatory of Flowers. And I'd say in general, and, and most of the people that come into my class, um, and you, you mentioned the response earlier. Yeah, everybody really enjoys it. They're all having a good time. And, and when people get contams, guess what they do? They tell me and... They return their jar and they get another one. I mean, that's how you have to keep going. Um, but we we usually find somewhere in the vicinity of like twelve different varieties within you know a fifteen minute walk. Wow. And and I and I I play a lot of you know a lot of fun because I don't I don't identify them for people. I hand right. them the book and say let's let's go to work. Let's try and figure it out. Right. Because um, right now in society, we're all looking for for quick answers and Amazon. Google it. Yeah. If yeah. I love you, Amazon, but I'm sorry, man. You made all small businesses out here pretty much the end. <laughs> totally. So that's totally. why I don't I'm not trying to sell things here as much as I want. I'd like people to come and hang out and, and learn and then, you know, share their resources in the right ways. And um and when we go on that walk, we have a really fun time talking and joking around and looking at different types of mushrooms. And, um, and you probably get some people outdoors who aren't outdoors enough. I mean, for me, in my day job, I'm in front of a, because I have a day job too, boo, focus on mushrooms. I have a day job too, and I find that most of my time is spent hunched over a computer screen. And so I think it's key for people to have these outlets and these opportunities to get out in nature and hey, if finding great medicinal mushrooms or beautiful mushrooms makes it all the more appealing to you, and that's a great little uh, you know, carrot on the stick to get people to, to get outside more. That's exactly right. You know, um, I mean, mind, like I mentioned earlier, mind, body, spirit, and your body needs to be in motion, I think, to really take care of it in a lot of ways. And, and whether or not you're physically exerting yourself heavily, but, you know, not being set, you know, not sitting down all the time, getting up and moving around is, is a part of that balance. You know, our bodies want to feel that inertia. Our muscles want to move. And, um, you know, getting outside is just like key. I mean, I always make yeah. jokes when I, when I take people into the Fuchsia Dell and I, I highly recommend going and sitting in there if you've never been there. What's it called? The Fuchsia Dell. Fuchsia um, Dell. Yeah. It's a very small little grove, um, that is between as about, 
uh, a five minute walk from the conservatory of flowers and we walk through it uh, every time but it's it's a very like um magical place you know it's very uh spiritual you can sit down and meditate or send prayers or or ask for guidance there and i always feel very calm and collected there and and you know there's so many places in nature that offer that type of feeling it's not necessarily just here in the city i mean right. it could be I'm, i know you have your your same places yourself that are those it, exactly in, for you. up in marin sonoma you get further north to mendocino I love just getting out there in the forest, getting lost in the redwoods. And for me, I don't have a spiritual practice, like a meditation or like a, but that ends up being my meditation. That ends up being my spiritual practice is being out in nature. Uh, one, one guy actually works at a local organic grocery store near me. He's a Cuban studying to become a babalao. So that's the kind of the holy man or a priestly role where he has to abstain from certain foods for months at a time. He wears all white. So he kind of has this aura of like holiness or this great aura around him. And I love this phrase he says where he's like, my church is nature. He's like, for me, he's like, for our religion, our church is nature. When I go outside, I'm in my holy place. And I think that's really cool because today, obviously, people are disillusioned with organized religion. Everyone's finding their own kinds of spirituality. And I have this tendency to relate mushrooms to spirituality, you know, even without psychoactives. I think getting into mushrooms and realizing the interconnectivity of mushrooms and mycelium in the forest kind of lends itself to this spiritual experience or that kind of philosophical spiritual thinking. And so I think it's really great to have that be, even if it's subconsciously, some kind of spiritual outlet for people Whereas we might not be getting served by organized religions or other institutions, this gives us a chance to plug into something greater than ourselves. So that's kind of a big part of why I get into it and why I really encourage people to get outside because it's done that for me. Um, so what you're talking about with going to these places in nature, that's obviously a huge part of my mission. That's why I do the goofy videos on Instagram. That's why I do what I do is to get people to, to interact with nature and have that, that kind of higher communion with with nature as it were um, so now that we've been covering spirituality let's get to an aspect of mushrooms that people associate more readily with spirituality and that is psychoactive or psychedelic mushrooms and i bring that up in the context of the decriminalized nature movements for people that don't know oakland california where we are in the bay area uh, decriminalized magic mushrooms among with some other entheogenic plants and I know, James, you have been kind of a central figure. I saw you speak at the town hall meetings. I saw you really involved in that. So how has that experience been? And just talk about the, the decriminalization movement. Yeah. Um, so there's uh, a whole bunch of different statewide and, ci and uh, citywide movements occurring. There's um, Decriminalized Nature um, Organization or Decriminalized Nature Oakland. And, um, and there's Decriminalized California, which is the statewide initiative. And I've, I've had a great opportunity to work with the leadership since um, their inceptions. And then I'm also uh, actually leading uh, the decriminalized San Francisco movement um, here in the city. And so if you live here in San Francisco, please go to um, decrimsf.org and uh, sign the petition and have um, an email sent to your um, local supervisor. Uh, it does it automatically. Uh, you can choose uh, to be anonymous if you want. Um, but it's an opportunity to um, get the discussion started for decriminalization uh, here in San Francisco as well. Just because I'm really curious, what does that process look like? When people start the decriminalization process, I know there's sequences of meetings, different groups, different town councils you got to interface with. How does that work? Yeah, so in, in from a city standpoint, using um, the DNO um, platform, let's just call it that, and, and their terminology and, and their... Um, and, um, how they like to word it. It's, it's more of a grassroots approach, which um, you work uh, citywide, city by city, looking for a local supervisor or a local um, city official who can sponsor some sort of discussion revolving around the decriminalization of entheogenic plants. And so I've been working um, using that same type of platform since um, basically uh, last year when uh, Oakland uh, decriminalized um, there to um, build um, local relationships with my local supervisor 
uh, and uh, local uh, city officials to actually bring this topic to them too. So that is a lot of like canvassing, going and speaking with the staff of the supervisors, saying that we're interested in in talking um, about this subject, that we have support, um, getting support through the signature gathering. And right now, um, you know, we're right under 400 people um, have um, supported here in San Francisco that are all local people. And, uh, and you don't need to be in San Francisco to support the cause um, here, but you know, Berkeley is also doing it and I've spoken um, on their city council um, decriminalization efforts as well. And so what will happen is after you get a board supervisor or someone to sponsor it, then they will bring it to the entire uh, committee. And at that point, that's where the open discussion occurs. And usually when you get into open discussion, that's where a lot of the, the concerns and issues about the effect on the community, the effect on police, the effect on different um, uh, local uh, groups uh, comes about. And then if, you know, the universe provides, then there's a potential for, um, you know, a motion to pass to potentially do uh, a decriminalization or bring it up to a vote. And um, so far, uh, a bunch of cities have moved forward with that and uh, with initially starting with Denver, then with Oakland, um, Santa Cruz is on it, Berkeley's on it, Chicago, Chicago's on it. Wow. And if you follow any of these groups, you know, Nashville, Tennessee, Western Sacramento, there's um, there are many, many cities, metropolitan cities where there are local grassroots um, groups organizing and trying to take that um, approach of of um, initiating the discussion with their local officials to see if decriminalization is something that the city can do. And it's a similar blueprint, it sounds like. I mean, you have to find a civic champion, someone in local government who you're petitioning as citizens to kind of take up the mantle and bring it to discussion and then let, you know, the various elected figureheads finally open that forum up start the discussion now is that where you came in when i saw you speak in the oakland city council had it moved past that point where hey someone in the government was interested brought it to the to the floor as it were and then you were able to say your piece that's right that's right yeah. i um i had been uh personally uh in the construction process of building out the shop for over a year and you know conceptually the 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 shop uh, came about after I started learning and growing and, and saying, I, I need to teach my friends because I, I, my wife is going to kill me for how many mushrooms I'm growing in this house. And, <laughs> and so I started showing my friends and, and that was what really spurred the idea of kind of building a space to show people how easy it is. And then when the decriminal, I mean, I, I, personally thought that decriminalization was something that wasn't even really going to be on the discussion table maybe until uh, um, for the next two years, which still seems realistic in the actual, when we talk about federal level decriminalization or at least bringing it up to a federal level discussion. You think that's a conversation that'll happen though? Federal I, level? I, I think so. I think, um, you know, wonderful uh, senators like AOC and and some other um, prominent uh, left leaning figures are, are starting she's, to. She's listen. come out and said some strong words about. That's psychedelics. right. That's right. And you know, and and then there's a whole bunch of um, larger uh, organizations with a lot of funding. You know, whether it be Maps or Field Trip Ventures or Compass Pathways, all these different groups that have different interests that are really, really throwing money down and there and those groups are particularly throwing money into psychedelics right um, not just mushrooms uh, in general and I think right. much bigger universe there would get right. all psychedelics. right yeah. yeah so the I mean for all of you out there who are, are listening and watching you know the the space of um, psychedelic mushrooms and let's let's just uh, say it right now Darren to the people out there let's call them therapeutic mushrooms not medicinal mushrooms because when we're taking psychedelic mushrooms, we're uh, we're working on our mind. And when Let's change the language. Yeah, and when we're like and when we're eating medicinal mushrooms, we're working on our body. You know, and and I think that body, will, mind, spirit. That's right. Body, mind, spirit. So, for me, I always wonder what is that difference between decriminalization and legalization? Because I've actually had some older folks in the mushroom community. I don't know, different people just say that, well, decriminalization isn't the way it makes you a target. I don't quite understand exactly how that works, but what's the major difference or why is decriminalization the focus right now? So decriminalization, it's, it's one approach to working towards 
legalization or regulation. Okay. okay. And decriminalization is purely um, a mandate that is taken up, and it could be statewide, it could be citywide. And that mandate is that for the local law enforcement, that they will not police cases revolving around certain entheogenic plants. And that's for the decriminalized nature platform. When we talk about decriminalized California, mm. their, their language and their focus is purely on psilocybin mushrooms. And, and, and there's different ideas for the reasons for each of them. And they both have their strong points as to the reason that um, the statewide initiative is focusing purely on psilocybin, whereas the citywide initiatives are focusing, focusing on all entheogenic plant medicines. Um, but um, in, the, in the end, it's, a, it's, it's an interesting difference. Yeah. Well, and, and for me as kind of the layman and as people who follow my channel know, I'm not a big psychoactive mushroom person. I'm not, I don't know what you call it, a psychedelic influencer. Uh, but I think just as, as a layman, these properties of psilocybin mushrooms, of entheogenic plants are extremely intriguing. And it seems really counterproductive to shove these things into the corner, into the dark and not try to pull them out give them the air of legitimacy, academic and clinical rigor that they deserve. And for me, I think this has to be a step in the right direction toward giving people sovereignty over their own mind, body, spirit, choosing what they want to put in it as responsible adults and making it less of kind of a stigmatized thing that ends up feeding, as everyone knows, into that kind of underground area that almost makes it more appealing and more dangerous and all those different things. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and I want to, you know, so for the decriminalization to kind of just spin off of what you said a little where your first question too, right? If if you're in Oakland, let's just use Oakland as an example. Um you can't sell, you can't buy, you can't you can't do you can't grow. So that's still illegal. That's still okay. illegal, but what you can do is if you're over the age of 21, you can consume mushrooms or entheogenic plants. Now, how you, crime. Right, how you get them, obviously, is it's a double, you know, it's a double standard here. Um, but what that means is, is that if you, for some reason, like maybe you consumed too much psilocybin and you had a, you had a hard time and you weren't in a safe space or with the right uh, set and setting and the right people or the right atmosphere and you needed to go to the hospital, you, you wouldn't be prosecuted for for consuming Whatever that has that, to be a good thing. That's right. I mean, that, and, and to I, me, that has to be a good that thing. That is the step in the right direction. It's yeah. a step in the right direction. And and to all the, the older generation that are kind of shaking their heads a little bit, well, I hear you and I understand exactly what, what you're saying. But my, my, my thought to the people that are saying it's either or with Decrim California or DNO, I, I'm going to say to you that this is a multi-pronged attack on, on our you know, cognitive liberty. And we all need to unite under both forums and, and both aspects to make sure that we collectively all move in the same and the right direction. And I think people got there with cannabis, finally. I think culturally we kind of moved there with cannabis for the most part. I see this following along that same track of reasoning. And uh, this sounds like, I mean, it should be another podcast. There's so much to talk about here, but I did want to cover it because I know you're a central figure in that when I see these hearings, you know, locally in our area and, you know, for a lot of people who are in the mushroom world, it's an element, obviously we're all aware of, we've all been familiar with at one point or another. So I didn't want to kind of tuck it away in the corner. I wanted to bring it out and talk about it. But for you, I know that you said that is not something that you want to have people coming into the hate street shroom shop bombarding you about is where can I get, so, I mean, talk about decriminalized, but you know, Hey James, yeah. where can you get me some magic mushrooms? That's no go. Yeah. That. Yeah. That's uh it's it, my hope is in a, in a couple of years, we'll be having a different story and I'll, and I'll be able to provide, right. provide those types of services to people and, and, and access to those things. But yeah, you know, spores are, are illegal in California, psychedelic spores in particular. Um, uh, medicinal spores and gourmet spores are not illegal, but psychedelic spores are. And and I want to make that point out to people. You know, you're, everyone kind of gives me a side eye when they're like, "Well, you own a place called Shroom Shop," and I'm like, "Yes, I do own a place called Shroom Shop." And the thing that is funny about that is that we're here to grow mushrooms, and if the world provides an opportunity for us to 
actually talk about, you know, psychedelic shrooms in a more colloquial format, then I hope that this place is, you know, is something that's the educational place and a place that you could come purchase mushrooms. But right now it's not, it's just a, a space here to help people with the processes and learning how I do provide um, some uh, spores with my uh, grow kits that you get when you leave my class, when you leave my workshop, you, depending on what tier you uh, can purchase, you can um, leave with some spores and leave with some stuff to go home and grow. And they are non psychoactive. And so right. don't ask. <laughs> right, right. No, I just wanted to I appreciate make sure that. that ground rules out there before everyone hears this and starts coming to James like, hey, I heard you talking yeah. about decriminalize. Where are my magic washers? I get that question all the time too. Yeah. And you know, it, like you said, until that's in the milieu of the general culture, we're going to talk about the most potent medicinal legal mushrooms that we can and help people grow those and get more informed about those. And there's so much to work with just in that realm. In the future, hey, you never know, maybe able to work in some of those other realms of psychoactives. But for now, that's let's- right. And and remember, friends, I just want to be very I want to bring it out there so you can hear it right. You know, we do talk about dung loving mushrooms in my course. Right. We talk about dung loving mushrooms a lot. Yeah. Um, but we don't grow dung loving mushrooms. Here. Right. Right. Except for what, what which one do you think I would grow? If I this is a quiz for Darren, if I was to grow a dung loving mushroom, what dung loving mushroom would I grow? Well, let's see. This is testing my little mycological knowledge here. Now, I know that most forms of agaricus, white button, criminy, portabella grow on compost. So is it some form of agaricus? Oh, wine cap, kingstropharia. Okay, now you can, most of my experience with kingstropharia, for people that don't know, you, you can look up wine cap mushrooms or garden giant mushrooms. Uh, and they're a beautiful mushroom, and I've seen most people grow them on in wood chips. Yeah. So you're saying, but is dung a better substrate, or yeah. just they can eat that too? Yeah, they love it, and they will okay. grow hand sized. Wow. Yeah, and, they're huge. Yeah, huge. And and I do um, just to talk about my kits and what I build here because yeah. I do make them to order. So if you come and take a course or whatever, I make everything uh, to order. But um, I use um, manure based compost. Um, because it's, um, it, in my opinion, it's the best substrate to use. Um, it's organic certified. Um, my kits come with compostable grow bags. And I use um, jars versus um, inoculation um, bags because they're more reusable. Yeah. And when you're on the home level, um, most people, um, re being able to reuse your supplies and stuff like that, that's a, a really a big plus. Yeah. And then when you guys get to the point where you're going to make 24 jars, then we can talk about maybe using bags or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Once you start getting a lot of glass jars. When you decide you need two pressure cookers, and I have four plus an autoclave. So <laughs> when you decide you need two, then... That's a sign you have addiction. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's At right. that point, you have a mycology addiction. Oh, uh, yeah. Or just you're just crazy. Yeah. <laughs> So, so you are sending people home with actual inoculated spawn. That's right. And you're sending people back. Now, when you send people back, uh, do they have a bigger compost with that compostable bag, a substrate block? They can then pour the spawn in themselves? That's right. That's okay. right. So I teach the entire process of inoculation. I teach how to make spore syringes in the class. I teach about liquid cultures and about agar and transfers. And then we go through... Um, a jar inoculation and then um, I send you home with a jar that is non inoculated so that if you acquire your own spores you right. then have your own jar that you can grow a different strain out on and then um, I usually provide a, um, a guaranteed jar which has uh, some sort of grain to grain transfer agar transfer or liquid culture um, that allows uh, everybody a higher level of success on on a, a potential for grow. So, you know, we always try and grow with more than one, right? Because if you just do one and you get contaminated, then you don't have anything to work with. So right. I try to send people home with enough to give them uh, the highest rate of success uh, as humanly possible. And with DIY mycology, the first thing you get familiar with is contamination. So that's really smart because it's bound to happen. It doesn't mean that 
you did anything wrong. Yeah. It's just the nature of the beast. It is part of the game. Um, it is part of the game. The yeah. food that mushrooms love, bacteria and other things love yeah. too. Yeah, mold, trike, yeah. you know, all these all these different things. And and I and I do spend um, a few moments in the course um, discussing contamination and showing pictures and saying, Don't let this deter you. Because, you know, for me it took me about two years to get good at home growing. And there was about a seven, eighth month period in that two year learning period where I couldn't grow anything. I couldn't get anything to grow. I mean, I, I tried this tech and that tech and I kept changing everything and I just was pulling my hair out. And then I learned that, um, by putting my colonization bags, my bags that were colonizing on the floor in the closet that I was using. Um, in the winter time, because of the pipes in my old building, it actually heated the floor up, and that heating of the floor actually caused my mycelium to not grow correctly and oh. contam everything. Oh, there you go. And Something the, I mean, simple, structural that you could right. change, right? And the moment I took my, and the moment I took those bags off of the ground, um, everything went back to normal. <laughs> I wish I'd figured that out a little bit quicker, but you know, that's part of the game. And that's, that's the thing is trying to pull all these variables together and understanding them. But the fun part about mycology is there's really only a few variables that you really need to understand. And you really, it's one of those things where you really have to try it to get good at it. I mean, that's kind of everything in life, but for me, I could read DIY mycology books, but maybe it's just my personality, but until I got my hands into grain, until I started really doing it then you kind of know it on a cellular level and you're able to really get your head wrapped around what are you trying to do and then you see the variables that you can start playing with and it becomes a lot more workable so for people that are interested in this i get a lot of people asking me you know can you give me advice on growing your own mushrooms i want to start doing this as a hobby or you know i feel like this is my passion but i don't know how to explore it are there any basic recommendations maybe great books great online communities basic equipment, maybe um, a good place to, to get cultures from, because I know those can be variable in terms of quality. Yeah, yeah, I can offer a lot of those resources. So um, YouTube is always a great place to look. Everyone um, get your pens and paper. Yeah, YouTube, <laughs> yeah YouTube's to start. I'm a visual learner. Um, I'm a, so with the visual learners, um, some of the people that helped me learn were uh, Willie Myko, uh, who is uh, who is an internet celebrity revolving around home mushroom cultivation and entheogenic um, extracts? Uh, another guy that is very well known that was very helpful to me was uh, Roger Rabbit. He's another um, well-known mycologist. Then the works of um, John Allen um, as one of the guys in the community collecting spores. Um, and then um, um, our hero and our man, Mr. Stemetz. Um, and I do highly re recommend um, his, uh, when, you, when you bridge the gap and you are ready to really learn about mycology, um, his book on growing gourmet and medicinal mushrooms is, is the Bible as far as I'm concerned. Um, whenever I can't figure something out, I can find something in that book to help me figure out what I think the issue is. Um, then other places, shroomery.org, uh, which is a wonderful, wonderful resource that is so silly in depth. And please, friends, pull your old bullion searching skills out of the internet <laughs> days when you were in high school because that's how you make that site work for you. Um, you need to be specific with your searches. And then once you, um, once you find the individuals that you personally like, because there's a lot of really skilled people. And it's there. a massive forum, right? Yeah. So you're saying use those quotation marks when you're searching for certain terms. That's right. Get in there in your search engine game and you can find just tomes. Of yeah. And, and look at it because look at how many views it has. Look at how long right. it's been up there. Look at how new it is. All, all of those sorts, sorts of things. And when you really drill down and give yourself, you know, a really long evening of not watching Netflix and instead watching Shroomery. There you go. A good substitution. <laughs> That's right. You will you'll really, really be able to find a lot of amazing information. And let me tell you, friends, there there really is no right or wrong answer. There's just a lot of different opportunities to learn. And don't be afraid to try things. I think yeah. use the basic you start getting those concepts. And then don't be afraid to maybe try something different with your substrate than anyone else is doing. 
try different. I, I remember people, so I was teaching classes very briefly at the counterculture lab space in over in Oakland. Uh, we were doing a lot of low tech cultivation and I had people coming into our little classes. Now this is about two or three years ago at this point, but we had people coming into the classes saying that they were sterilizing their jars of grain that they were going to inoculate by putting them in the microwave. And I just, I, it didn't compute with me at first. I was like, this is not proper. This is not what the books say or what I've learned. And you know, it's almost like fuck what the books say or what you learn. These people were getting results with it. And it was kind of like this new, we started calling it like microwave tech <laughs> that people were having success with. And I, and now that I've talked to, you know, a couple of people who are in the DIY mycology space, that's really where you start finding new things. You start finding new ways of doing things. That's really where you kind of make it your own. So don't be afraid to try new things. Yeah. And, and ask. And yeah. Ask. Yeah. There you I go. mean, I ask, I, I have, I, I get contams. I, we're going to go back and walk around the lab after the show. And I have a big pile of contaminated grain to show you. That sounds like fun. It's beautiful. Save the best for last. That's right. I know. And you know, it's just, it's just part of the game. And you know, and as, as I go through, I go and I speak to my friends and my other community members and they, they all share things with me that usually offer me some sort of insight. And that's the fun part about this is, is building up friendships and building up relationships with people and and following along and trying to figure things out collectively now that's been my experience with in-person or online communities it feels like a very helpful and accepting community whether it's a facebook group a reddit subreddit like mushroom growers a shroomery if you post a call for help or ask for advice i found people to be really receptive and responsive uh, now i know that's not everyone's experience and sometimes people get users on there that get high and mighty and get condescending. You know, why would you ask that? Or that's it. You know, there are dicks everywhere. But I think on the whole, the community is really open and responsive. And um, don't be afraid to put it out there. If you do have questions, if you do have issues, and you're going to get help, don't, don't, basically, don't learn by being too afraid. To, don't prevent yourself from learning by being too afraid to ask. I guess what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I and I'm all I'm, I am I am a, a self-taught mycologist. I'm a citizen scientist. The research and the things that I do for for my own personal and for um, the organizations that I'm involved with, you know, I, I try not to get myself hung up. You know, and I say that in the course. You know, there's especially when you start really getting geeky geeked out on on mushrooms the level of knowledge and just the naming the way they name the scientific names for mushrooms is um it's an amazing thing however as a as a when you meet a higher level mycophiles you know and a mycophile is somebody that really loves mushrooms um when you meet them they they can spout the latin names like right off the top of their head and you're like and you feel like you're getting hammered over the head with a foreign language right and my advice to you friends is just uh just Take it with a grain of salt, and every time you try and uh, say one of the names, think of it just like um, the banana and a fofano game. That's how I try to think. Of For it. me, it was I honestly I stopped watching sports as much. Not everything's fine with sports. I have nothing against sports, but the amount of brain power we have to remember people's names, the stats, and how many touchdowns they have shift a little bit of that brain power toward Latin names for yeah. fungi. If you're interested in it. And you'll be impressed with how much you can remember and, uh, you know, how much you can cope with Latin sounding names that you have no basis for. Um, so just as we kind of we're approaching about an hour, I want to know what the future plans are. We can be as succinct as you want to be for Hate Street Shroom Shop. What opportunities are opening up if you're maybe envisioning this as like a co-working space. I don't know if that's ever in the plans for people to kind of be part of a trusted list to come in and do their own projects or what's what's the future for the for the shrimp shop? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really happy you asked that um, because all of those things are in the future. Um, right now as it stands, you know, I'm gonna continue uh, teaching my Mycology 101 course and then my next step for the shop is to try and um, build up a, a group of uh, advanced mycologists that want to teach people in the same format that want to, you know, reserve two or three hours on any given night to kind of come. And I want to build that small collective of mushroom enthusiasts and mushroom local people 
to try and support their individual and collective endeavors revolving around the different things that um, people are doing with mushrooms. We have a lot of awesome local scientists, awesome local, you know, people that are involved in cannabis industry that are really interested in mushrooms that have a really amazing set of knowledge base that cross crosses over. And I, I want to try and bring those people together collectively. And then I, and then I hope to um, open that lab up in the loft and we're, we'll go look at that as well. But it's, I'm working on transitioning um, all the lab equipment up there to create a fully functional lab and educational space. And part of my hope and, and dream within that space is that that will be available to um, a group of individuals that um, can join a collective and, and be a part of, um, of a mycology group with access to maybe uh, potentially some higher level equipment um, that is really much more research based. Um, and we're talking like HPLCs, um, you know, lab work, uh, solvent uh, disposal and things like that. That's my hope and my dream. Um, right now, we're going to focus on just uh, getting it to a working space where um, mycology work, culture transfers and anybody that wants to come in and do work within um, within the availability that uh, that that happens and i'll have basically um social hours coming up pretty soon where people can come in um reserve time to make still air boxes reserve time to ask questions reserve time to make mono tubs uh come and have a beer come and have a glass of wine come and uh, have some mushroom tea hang yeah. out and just chat and and know that the space is open i'm gonna start that pretty soon on like i'm thinking thursday nights um, friends, please sign up for the email list. Uh, that's where you first and foremost get um, all dibs on anything that happens here uh, is through email. And that comes directly from me. So I won't spam your inbox because <laughs> I don't have time to write a lot of emails right. trying to promote events and stuff. And hopefully we will uh, have a really solid calendar. Um, my hope is um, by March I'm going to have a solid calendar of, of recurring events here and people um, we'll cycle in and, you know, I have, I already have some, um, mushroom products that are from some of my collaborations that are available and, you know, there'll be some of that stuff available. And then eventually, um, you know, mycology supplies, um, as I, as I get to that point and create an ability to, uh, to help, um, everybody locally that is interested in, in this format. Well, I think that kind of open lab space, that open community space is almost like a public service. I mean, for people... Like me now, um, I live with my partner in a pretty small cottage up in Marin. I don't have the space for a flow hood. I hardly have the space for all the things I have plus my dog. So to have that kind of area that's open with real proper equipment, I mean, you add in the community of interested people and people that know their stuff. Like I want people to understand that's really a treasure to have that available. And as far as I know, up until the past few years, even in a place like the Bay Area that has a huge mushrooming community, there haven't been public spaces with that readily available. You know, we've mentioned counterculture labs a couple times. That's a space that has some of this equipment in there. There are a number of different organizations kind of rotating, trying to use everything. So I think the more spaces like that we have, the easier it is for people to really start this journey. And I think at the end of the day, the goal is to have everyone who has the inclination to be their own self-taught mycologist and be able to grow their own medicine and food. I mean, that seems sustainable to me that people could have enough working mycological knowledge to not have to drop 80 bucks on turkey tail supplements or lion's mane supplements, be able to grow enough for themselves and their family. And um, that's really a way to kind of empower people in a, a step to me, a step forward as a society to taking our power back when it comes to food and medicine. I agree a hundred percent. Learn how to grow your own medicine, learn how to cultivate your own food. And you know, that's, it's a very simple recipe, um, to a path to a more healthy and happy life. I I'm right with you, Darren, hundred percent. Right on. So, uh, where's the best place for people to find you? Uh, you know, Instagram websites, all that good stuff. Um, for a direct communication, if you're trying to get at me and want a response, uh, Instagram is a good spot. That's usually where I'm, I'm floating my uh, imagery around the most. For the actual site, um, for the actual like updates and classes and stuff, being involved on um, my email list, like I mentioned, is the next best spot. 
Um, you guys can email me at james at hatestreetshroomshop.com. If you'd like to ask questions, please give me about 24 hours of response time. That's usually how much it takes for me. And, um, and then, you know, um, yeah, feel free to, to reach out. The store isn't, isn't fully open as a retail space, but like I mentioned, I'm, I want to get these, uh, these social hours going pretty soon. So that's going to be the kind of open opportunity for people to come in and check it out, you know. And we have a lot of great businesses around my neighborhood, a really amazing taco shop and cafe next to me, a pizza shop across the street. Uh, we have the oldest um, open poetry night in, in, I think, in the country um, is right across the street uh, from here. And that's every um, Wednesday and Thursday. So I'm kind of thinking we might be open on Thursday nights so that you guys can come and partake on some real um, San Francisco neighborhood um, life. Poetry, good food, mushrooms. People got to get over here. This is going to be it's going to be the new Thursday night date night. Come to, come eat some food, <laughs> listen to some poetry, grow some mushrooms. And that's awesome. I'm going to link up all of your stuff everywhere this podcast is. People should be able to click those resources, get in contact with you. And then as a final thought here, I, I don't want to be remiss if I skip this. Um, I know for me, it seems like we are on just the tip of this tsunami wave of mushroom knowledge, of mushroom products, of kind of the mushroom world just emerging. You know, I've only been into it for about three or four years. I think you're around the same time. And I think we're symptomatic of kind of this emerging wave of mushroom knowledge. Companies like Four Sigmatic, tons of companies out there using mushroom products. Yeah. So I guess what do you see as the mushroom future for people that are listening to this? I think it's a something people should explore, you know, both as a passion and a hobby, but also as a career. I mean, I encourage family friends who have kids going to school, don't know what they want to do. Have you ever thought about mycology? Ends up being my speech to them. Uh, so, what do you think that that kind of future of the mushroom world is? I, I'm I'm right with you on on that. I think there's a huge future here, right? I mean, um, and I I don't want to use. Uh, like cannabis, the cannabis industry. I mean, we're here in the Bay Area, so those of us that are hard to avoid. Yeah, those of us yeah. that are cannabis enthusiasts or medicinal or recreational cannabis users, we all we all have a pretty good knowledge into how that industry developed, and it and it came at a fledgling speed and went through a very interesting um, medicalization, then decriminalization, then legalization process. And I think right now, because in particular revolving around the psychedelics people are looking at that industry as as the forefront of 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 how the potential for medicinals and in particular psychedelics um is is they're looking at it as a framework for the potential right now i i'm pretty sure you'd agree with me that people that take psychedelic medicine or in particular psilocybin they don't consume psilocybin the same way that people that consume cannabis on a day-to-day -day or medicinal basis do. That would be rough. Yeah. I don't think people should. I don't yeah, think people I don't do recommend that. that. Yeah. I don't recommend taking psilocybin as much as you, some of you out there take dabs and smoke joints. Right. right. Come um, back to earth, guys. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Please, for a moment. And um, But the point that I'm making is that, um, so there's a fledgling industry that's going to be huge. Right. Yes. I, all of you out there that are looking at the cannabis industry as the potential, for, as a potentiator for like what the mushroom industry could be, I'm not sure that that comparison is really the right comparison. Right. But I'm going to say that based on that tsunami that, um, analogy that you're talking about, there is um, a huge wave happening right now. And people like yourself and myself are. We're all kind of standing on our surf surfboards at the top of a wave, getting ready to drop in, and and we all need to we all need to get a bigger surfboard and get on the same surfboard and, and ride that wave together. That's that's how I feel about it because the opportunities are going to be um, bountiful, and and if you do have an interest in mycology, that first step is is opening that door through an educational atmosphere, whether it's online or coming and taking a class here or getting a private in home with somebody that you know that's grown mushrooms or even just ordering one of those one of those funny kits online that you just poke a hole in the box and then mushrooms grow out of it. Whatever it is, um, that's where the potential is there for many, many new products, many, many offshoot industries, whether it's in health, whether it's agriculture, whether it's in pharmaceuticals, whether it's in, you know, recreation, whether it's in 
different industries revolving around those different things. Supplying those industries, right. That's right. Never been a better time to get on the Myco wave. Right. Certainly, certainly not too late. It won't be, it's never too late. Yeah. And, 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 and friends, let, let's be, let's be clear too. Like I just, I love saying this. It's not, I don't think the money train, if you're interested in money is in growing mushrooms as in growing fruit bodies of mushrooms. I think it's, Probably the capital gain is in the industry supporting those things and right. supporting the the people that are in the community. Right. So creating experiential things, creating opportunities to to gather collectively, you know, and and start building um, building that groundswell and and getting on that surfboard together. That's where I think the real successful opportunities exist. And even if it's just a hobby and a passion you're going to get enough out of it that it's going to be life-changing and add a new layer of fulfillment. And, uh, you know, as much as we're all taught to grind and hustle, not everything has to be a grind and hustle. It can be a hobby and a passion and still give you so much, which mushrooms have, have done for both of us. So, uh, all right. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap things up. James, thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing the space. I'm excited to see everything you got in the works here. Make a tour. If you're in the San Francisco area, definitely put hate street shroom hate street shroom shop on your radar a little bit of a tongue twister put that on your radar i'll have all the links so you can reach out and get involved and uh yeah thanks for the time thank you thanks so much man much love bro much love